How we doing tonight, Exchange? Let's go. Man, I'm excited for tonight. My name is Mark. If we haven't met, I would love to uh, connect after service. I get the privilege of leading our college and young adult ministries, some of our family ministries at Grace Family Church. But man, I want to say welcome to all of our first-timers. Come on, let's put our hands together. Anyone here for the first time, we're so glad that you are here tonight. And uh, like Tay mentioned, uh, we're going into week two of a series that we've called Eyewitness. But like we heard from Yasmin, I, I just love seeing what God is doing in the lives of so many people. And I believe if we continue to lean in over the next couple of weeks in this series, I believe God's getting ready to speak and continue to move through the lives of people. So we're going to continue this series tonight. And last week we spoke from the idea, the closer we get to Jesus, the more our lives ought to change. And tonight we're going to look at John chapter 8. And it's a woman who's caught in a sin. She's caught in a sin. But I love this story so much because in this moment, you see, Jesus doesn't speak to her past. He speaks to his, her future. Jesus doesn't look at her past and shame her. He speaks to her future and uplifts her. And I believe that's a message for some of you tonight as we get ready to jump in. I want to also encourage you over the next couple of weeks, bring a Bible with you. Bring your Bible with you. I believe it's going to help you as we track along. But we're going to pick up John chapter 8, verses 1. It says this, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. Verse 3 says this, So the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. And that word adultery means she was being unfaithful in her marriage. That means she was probably sleeping around and caught in an affair with another man. It picks up and it says this, The men, they made her stand before the group, verse 4, and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Verse 5, And the law of Moses commanded us, to stone such woman. Now what do you say, Jesus? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. It says, but Jesus bent down and started to write in the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let, let the one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Verse eight, again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Stay with me. Verse 9, it says this. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Verse 10, this is our last one. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Somebody say, where are they? Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Today for the next, say let's say, two hours maybe, I'm just gonna preach to you from this idea, I'm totally kidding, for the next couple moments, I'm gonna talk to you from this idea, everyone has a past and everyone is given a future. Everyone has a past and I'll say it this way, every sinner has a future. And I believe as we look at this story of this woman who's caught in this sin, it kind of brings me back to uh, a story back in college, and I know I always mention college. I had a lot of experiences there. If you know, you know, college is kind of crazy. Uh, I played college football in Miami at Florida International University, and yeah, FIU, yeah, said no one. <laughs> I played college football there for several years, and uh, my first year in college, it was a bye week. So that means that we had the week off. We didn't have a game that weekend, 
and it was Labor Day weekend. It fell on Labor Day weekend. And so this weekend, I decided to come back home, and home is Tampa. So I drove back up to Tampa, and as I'm spending time with my family over the weekend, I get this weird text message from our head coach. We never get texts from our head coach. That means something's going wrong. He texts, I need every athlete to report to the stadium at 6 p.m. It's noon on Saturday. I'm like, how's this gonna happen? Pack up my car, jump in the car, heading down to the stadium, and I'm just thinking, okay, what is going on? All of the players are sending text messages. Anybody know what's going on? What's going on? What's taking place? Finally, I get to the stadium. All of my teammates are outside. They're talking. We're, we're trying to figure out what is going on. Did coach get fired? Someone get in trouble, right? Did we lose one of our teammates? All of these different things. So we walk into the meeting room, and the meeting room's kind of like a large auditorium, about 120 seats, and everyone's sitting down, and coach walks up to the front. And as coach comes up to the front, he has this, like, smirk on his face, and that's never a good thing. If you're an athlete, you know that's never a good thing. Coach leads with the words that I'll never forget. You guys are going to pay. Bless God. You guys are gonna pay. I'm like, okay, pay for what? What did we do? He said, I hope you guys had a great Labor Day weekend. I was like, we didn't really get an opportunity to enjoy it. And he proceeds to say, one of your teammates had a fantastic Labor Day weekend. And as he says that, noticeably, the guy that's sitting in the front row, he was one of our starting offensive linemen. That means he's a pretty big guy. He kind of like put his hand in the ground and blocked for everyone, right? He starts shrinking down in his seat kind of wanting to hide. Coach proceeds, he goes, one of your teammates, as he points at him, he doesn't say his name, but he points at him, decided to have a great Labor Day weekend. In fact, this is what happened. He begins to explain, our teammate had gotten so drunk Labor Day weekend that he passed out at about midnight in the middle of the road. Some of our teammates found him, they carry him back to the room, and they throw him in the shower. They throw him in the shower. And as he's laying there in the shower, they turn the water on because our teammate had vomit covering his body all over him. And they started running the water all over him, but they forgot to do the most important thing. They forgot to turn off the shower. So our teammate's in the shower, passed out, knocked out, slapped drunk, and they're just running the water. So what happened? The shower starts to overflow, and they flooded the whole apartment and the apartments underneath them. Yeah, that's fun. So I'm like, okay, it makes sense. We're going to pay for this, right? A coach proceeds to tell us, you're not going to pay financially. Each and every one of you, by the end of tonight, you are going to throw up as well. I'm like, okay, is that even legal? Like, can you do that? <laughs> he goes, you're all running to each and every one of you, all 110 of you, throw up on the football field tonight. Let's just say after that, our, our teammate, he didn't last very much longer, right? Um, he got beat up, right? He got beat up, and uh, coach kind of just kicked him off the team. But he was so ashamed, and that never left his name. He was so ashamed, and that never left his name. And I want to bring that over to our message, because in this text, we see a woman. She's ashamed, right? She's shamed by these men. These men, they throw her in front of Jesus, in front of a group of people, in front of a crowd, and they start to call her out for her sin. They start to say, yo, look at this woman caught in the act of adultery. Like, yo, what do we do about her, Jesus? And just like this, we see she's humiliated. She's shamed, right? She's put out there. They put her on blast. And it was important, though, that you get this because the primary goal of the accusers, they were called Pharisees, the religious men, their primary goal wasn't to just shame this woman. You see, their motive was to really catch Jesus in a lie. 
Get this, this is important that you get the context of this moment. Because what was taking place is there was a law put in place that Moses had commanded everyone who is caught in the act of sexual sin is to be stoned to death. So they know if Jesus, right, if they bring her, this girl to Jesus, Jesus has to make the hard decision to say, okay, stoner. Right, because if Jesus says stoner, Jesus is gonna be seen by, as someone that's cruel and very harsh. But if Jesus says, yo, you know, don't stone her, like, you can't do that, then Jesus is gonna be breaking the law. So they're trying to catch Jesus in this moment. They're trying to trap Jesus in this moment. And as I think about this story, I think, how did this woman end up in this position in the first place? Like, how did she get to this place where she's now at the feet of Jesus in front of hundreds of people, meaning she was caught in adultery? That means she was probably naked. And they just throw her out there in front of all of these people at the feet of Jesus, and she's nearly steering faith, uh, death in the face. She's like facing death in her face, and in this moment, she probably doesn't know what to think as she's about to be stoned. And I just want to put this out there, because some of you, uh, you need to kind of like reprogram your thinking when I use that word stoned. It's not like recreationally, like what some, some people may do recreationally, right? Like, they're about to stone this woman to death, and at this time, some of you just got that, amazing. <laughs> and what would take place in this moment when they would stone someone, they would dig a ditch, they would put that person in there, they would tie up their hands behind their back, and they would pelt rocks and stones and boulders at their face to the point they bleed out and die. So here's this woman in this moment about to be killed, literally killed on the spot. And I'm just like, yo, how did she get here? How did she end up in this place? And as I thought about it, I'm sure it probably began with some small compromises. It probably began years in the past when she began to go places she had no business going, hanging with people that she knew she shouldn't be hanging with, giving her attention to men and people that she had no business giving her attention to. It started with these small little moments of compromise that led to this moment where she's now about to be killed for her sin. I thought about this, and I want you to get this tonight. Small compromises lead to weakened character, and weakened character always gives birth to sin. Small compromises lead to weakened character, and weakened character always gives birth to sin. It's like the little lies that sometimes we may tell or used to tell as kids. Like, it leads us to tell bigger lies, and we feel like we can get away with more. I think about this, because this is kind of an important message to me. I remember when I was in middle and high school, I had a ton of friends that played football with me, and we were really close. And when you're in middle school, the cool thing to do, right, is to walk home from school. So we would walk home from school on Friday, and uh, we would stop at the corner store. And as we were at the corner store, some of my friends would just kind of like start stealing little things start filling, filling up their backpacks with sodas and candies and all of that stuff. It was a small compromise. It was the little things. But I shared that, and now I can tell you this, honestly, which breaks my heart. At least twice a year, I can anticipate someone reaching out to me, say, yo, can you pray for this guy? Now he's in prison. Can you pray for this guy? Now he's behind jail or, or bars in prison. And I think about it, it all started with the small compromises. It always starts with the small compromises that lead to bigger things. And I want you to get this tonight, because I believe small compromises give birth to sin, and it will rob you from your purpose. It will compromise your character. It will destroy all that God has in store for your life, and it will block your blessing. And in this story, this woman, 
Up to this point, she never decided to put an end to those small compromises, I'm sure. Like, she never decided to say, okay, I'm going to stop doing all of this, and I'm going to focus on doing the right thing. She never did that up until this point. And I want you to get this because your sin, my sin, our sin, the sin that we have in our life, whether we see them as small compromises or not, they always come with some consequences. I know this is kind of like a, a strong message, but I just got to say it how it is. Our small compromises, whether small or big or whatever you may think of it, it's sin, and it comes with a consequence, a negative consequence in that. And when I say sin, I mean the things that dishonor God, the things that we do that disobey God, the things that we know we shouldn't be doing that go against God. And I want us to be honest with ourselves tonight, because within each and every one of us, in some part of our life, we compromise. Within each and every one of our lives, we sin. And we can't act like, oh, this message isn't for me or doesn't speak to me or this has nothing to do with me. I want you to understand whether it's your habits, your lifestyle, it's going to keep you from experiencing God. It's going to keep you from experiencing God, whether that may be lust, lying, stealing, sleeping around, having sex out of marriage, outside of marriage drinking to get drunk, all of these different things, it will keep you from seeing God's goodness in your life. And I want to speak to that thing that's in your life because I believe you can never fix what you fail to face. And I believe tonight's the moment that we deal with this and we say, okay, no more of that. I'm going to pursue God. I'm putting this to the side. I'm in pursuit of God. I, I know this is a hard message, y'all, but let's be real with ourselves. Let's be honest with ourselves. Let's look deep within our heart because God is wanting some of us to leave some things in the past so we can step into our future. Tonight's the night we're going to do that. But you've got to be honest with yourself and say, okay, I'm ready to get rid of that thing. What is that thing that's compromising your character? What's that thing that's shortchanging your integrity? What's that thing that's keeping you from walking in all that God has in store for you? And if we don't address that thing, we will always find ourselves suffering the consequences later, just like this woman. I think about this, small compromises in sin always lead to negative consequences. Small compromises and sin always lead to negative consequences. How many of you know that person, that friend that's always like going back to the boyfriend or the girlfriend that they know and you know are no good for them? Some of y'all don't want to raise your hand because that person's sitting right next to you. That's okay. Right, like we all know that person that keeps going back to that bad boyfriend or that girlfriend that is no good for them and and they just keep saying, well, you know, I'm just going to give him or her another chance, right? I'm going to give him or her another chance. I, I think we should just try it again. Or I just feel so much better when we're together. I feel so much better. Or when we're together, things are just great and it's not as bad as it may seem from the outsider. How about this? When people like try and put a little Jesus in it. Like, yo, I've been praying about it. And I know God's leading me to this. Like, no, you haven't. Stop lying. We all heard it, right? We all see those people that keep on going back, right? And keep on pursuing that thing that you know is no good for them. And I think just like that, sin tells us the same thing. Sin will tell you, it's okay, just do it one more time. Just try it one more time. It's okay, it's not that big of a deal. It's gonna be okay, no one knows. It's all gonna be, just try it one more time. Sin tells us the same lies and all of the same things, but I want you to know this, sin never seems as bad as it truly is. 
In the moment, like, it doesn't seem that bad. It doesn't seem like, oh, it's hurting anybody. But the truth is, so many of you in the room can, can speak to this. Sin, it does this. Sin will always take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you're willing to pay. But you got to be real with yourself and say, this is no good for me. I ought to leave this behind or else you're going to have to face the negative consequences ahead. And I think this is so true. Satan, in those moments when you're, you're falling into sin, he, he wants to keep you there. He wants to keep you there. He wants you to feel like, okay, you're good. No one knows. It's not that big of a deal. No one's getting hurt by this. It's fine. Because he knows if he can convince you, he has to do less work. He don't need to convince you. Or if, you, if you're telling yourself that, you're already convinced. Like, you're just going to stay in this perpetual cycle of sin. He ain't got to do no work. Satan wants you to believe that lie. Satan wants you to believe that's the truth, that what you're doing is okay. And I want you to get this today. Sin kills you. Sin kills you. I love what Pastor Nate said a couple weeks ago. Like, he had to start telling himself the bad habits that he has in his life, the things that he's doing, like, it's killing himself. Sin is killing you. Those things that you're doing, the small compromises or the big things, it is killing you. And I know that sounds super harsh, but, like, that's the reality of it, y'all. Like, there's no sugarcoating this. And I'm sure, I, I, I'm sure this, this woman, she in this moment, like, yo, she was not thinking that those small compromises would now put her in the face of death, would now have her seated in front of all of these people about to be stoned to death. But the truth is, sin kills. The Bible says this in Romans 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. And I know some of you are like, yo, why are you preaching on this? Like, I brought my friend today. Like, bro, come on, bro. Like, try and doctor this up a little bit. But I know, I know sometimes this may feel a little harsh, but trust me, this is the message that will change your friend's life. This is the message that our city needs. This is the message that officials need. This is the message that is going to change someone's life tonight. I believe this with all of my heart. We need to understand sin kills. But when I say it kills, I mean it leads us to a place where we're eternally separated from God. Like when I say sin is killing your soul, what I mean is it's eternally separating you from God. And we see it in this story. That sin doesn't just keep you there. If you make a decision to confess and repent and turn from your ways, God has more for you. There's a way out of your sin. There's more that God has in store for your life. But before I get to the point of explaining the way out, I would miss the point of this whole story if I didn't speak to the moment where Jesus now, he sees this woman, right? She, she's now brought in front of all of these people, and they're like, yo, Jesus, yo, this woman was sleeping around. Yo, Jesus, do something about it. The, the law that Moses commanded, he says that this woman should be stoned at the point of death. And Jesus is just hearing it, right? Like, Jesus is just hearing what they have to say. And in the next couple verses, the Bible says that Jesus, he, he bends down. He bends down. And I, I love that because he bends down in this moment, and he starts to write with his finger in the ground. And as you read this, you're probably like, okay, he's writing in the ground. Cool, bro. That's awesome. But I want you to understand this. Jesus does the unthinkable. Because in this culture, at this time, in the Jewish culture, for a man in authority, for a teacher of the word, for him to get down, that's a sign of weakness. That's a sign of weakness. That's almost a sign of defeat. 
But what Jesus is doing, he's getting on her level. You see, when we sin, God doesn't lord it over us and look down on us. No, he gets down on our level. And I don't want you to miss the point. Because in this moment, in this culture, the rabbi or teacher, he would be like, yo, seen as just, what are you doing, bro? Like, what are you doing? Like, what you're doing is stupid. Like, you're a fool. Get out of here. What are you doing? But no, Jesus, he got on her level despite her sin. And I want you to know, Jesus, he did the same thing for you. He didn't keep you at an arm's, arm length distance because of your sin. No, he embraced you. He got on your level. He met you where you are. And he speaks to your future. He speaks life over you. He speaks healing over you. He speaks forgiveness over you. And that's what he did in this moment to this woman. But as he's bent down, he begins to write. And people are always like, yo, what, what was Jesus writing in this moment? Like, what was he writing in the dirt? And many people, when they study this text or when you read it in its original text and language, you'll see that traditionally, many people and many scholars believe that Jesus was writing down the names of the people who were accusing this woman of her sin. Not only was he writing down their names, he was writing down their sin. Think about that. Like, Kevin, I've seen your, your browsing history, bro, looking up bikini babes and... <laughs> All right, he's like, Erica, I've seen you, you know, at the club, thirsting after that one dude, and then you made your way over and started, like, throwing it back, whatever, like... Yeah, he's going there, he's going there, he's doing that. I can just imagine Jesus, he gets down, he starts writing all of the names of the people and starts writing out their sin, but, but, but the Bible tells us this. The Bible tells us he never, he never for a moment made eye contact and began to shame them. The story tells us he, he never shamed them. He just started writing down their sin in the dirt in that moment. I, I know that's probably like, okay, that's cool. That's good to know. But this is also important that you understand this because in the Bible it tells us God sees and knows our sin. So when we like are in bed at night doing things that we know we shouldn't be doing, looking at things that we know we have no business looking at, God sees that. He knows that. Like, don't act like he doesn't see you at the club. Like, yo, he is in the club with you. <laughs> like, we can't act like, oh, it's all good. Like, Hebrews 4.13, you can look it up in your own time. But it tells us God sees each and everything. He knows it. He knows it. He sees it, and he knows it. But the good thing is he doesn't hold it against us. He doesn't hold it against us if we come to him and we confess of our sin. Genuinely, though. He doesn't hold it against us. He doesn't look down on you. If we genuinely confess and seek forgiveness, he brings it. He provides it. And I just want to speak to the believers in the room because as we see this text, as we read this text, I feel like the Pharisees and the religious people, like, yeah, they're highlighted, but Jesus' forgiveness for this woman is the thing that's like the main attraction, like the main thing that we focus on. But what I love about this and this is for the believers in the room. The people that call themselves followers of Jesus, let me, let me just keep clarifying that because I want you to get this for those of you who call yourself a follower of Jesus. If Jesus, if he didn't hold the sin against the Pharisees, if he didn't hold that sin over this woman caught in the act of sin, why do we hold sin against other people? Like, why do, we, why do we label people by their sin? 
Why do we call them their sin? Why do we hold their sin against them? And I think we as Christians, we too, just like these Pharisees, we have done an extremely good job of pointing out the sin in someone else's life and a terrible job of saying we too have sinned. I just want to be real with the room tonight because I think this is one of the biggest issues in Christianity today. We label people by their sin. We call them a sinner and we make them feel like they're not welcomed into this space. I'm about to preach this how I feel it right now. And it's in this moment, these Pharisees, like, they were, like, so fueled, like, oh, we got this lady, right? Like, oh, we caught her, like, she's now in front of Jesus, like, man, we're, we're going to peg this woman for her sin, like, we're going to make it known publicly, but they, too, had forgotten their own sin. And I just want to be real, because if you're a follower of Jesus, I need you to understand, your role, your role is to have impact and not bring insults, I want you to understand your role is to have impact and not bring insults to other people's life. We ought to speak to people's potential and not their problems. And it doesn't stop there because we get caught up on people's problems and we, we start tearing people down. No, we weren't created or called to tear people down. We ought to bring them up. We ought to build them up. We ought to speak to their potential and not their past. We ought to understand every person has a past and every person has a future. That's the message of the Bible. But we have acted like, oh, we're too good. We've got this all figured out. Yo, they can't walk up in church Man, like, yo, oh my gosh, like, he was just posting that on Instagram. Why is he here? I hear that all the time, and I, I need us to put an end to that because I feel like we've treated church like it's this VIP corner in the club. I want you to know, no, this place, this space is not for very important people. This space carries a very important message about a very important person by the name of Jesus. And if we don't understand that, yo, we've missed the point. We, we've got to stop acting like we've got it all figured out. We've got to stop disqualifying people. And I want you to know this today. This isn't about making people feel less than. This is about making people feel more than enough in the eyes of God. We can't keep looking down on people and acting like, yo, we're too good for you. You need to stay out there. I'm living for the moment when the church of Jesus Christ looks a little different. I'm living for the moment when people who look different and live different walk up in this space saying, yo, just point me to Jesus. I need Jesus. And we always talk about this in the exchange. Like our vision, we exist to reach people all across our city. I believe if we take this message and start sharing it at, at school, sharing it at our college, sharing it at university, sharing it at our workspaces, this city will be flip, flipped upside down for the message of Jesus. Like, we can't keep just saying, yo, they're living this life. Like, let's keep them at an arm's length distance. Let's push them away. Like, they aren't welcome here. No, friends, we ought to create and give this message. Hear me, hear me, that people belong before they believe. We, we ought to create this message that people belong in this space before they believe in Jesus. We ought to start inviting people that are far, far, far away from God and believing that God has something for their life, that God is going to bring a message that's going to impact and change their story for his glory. We ought to start leading our lives that way. We ought to start living a life on mission for Jesus. And as I go on about this, I want to speak to the person in the room 
That's kind of like, okay, I'm here. I have no relationship with Jesus. Like, what, is this, what does this mean for me? Thank you for the keys. That's going to set the moment. Thanks, bro. I, yo, yo, what, is this, what does this message have to do with me? And I want you to know this, you're, you're here on purpose and for a purpose. I say that all the time. I believe if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're in the right place on a Tuesday night. You're here on purpose and for a purpose. I want to create a space where people can come with their questions, come with their doubts, come with their challenges. I want to create a space where people feel invited, feel loved, feel like they could be a part of something, feel like this is a safe place, a judgment-free space. I want people to feel all of those things because I believe God has you. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, he has you here on purpose and for a purpose. And if no one has ever said it, let me be the first. God loves you the way you are. But he loves you too much to see you stay that way. God loves you the way you are, but he loves you way too much to see you stay that way. I want someone to know tonight, like this woman, it doesn't matter what you've done or who you've done, God is pursuing you. He loves you the way you are. And this isn't a message to make you feel excluded or ashamed or feel less than. I want you to know this is a message to help you realize you are loved. And as I close... I love how this story ends because Jesus, he would still remain kneeling next to this woman, side by side to this woman on her level. And in this moment, the people, they keep asking, yo, Jesus, what do we do? And finally, the Bible says, Jesus, he straightened up and he says, okay, you guys want to stone her? Stone her. But first, 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 for the one of you that's never sinned, you throw the first stone. And the Bible says, each and every one of them, they walked away one by one till it was just she and Jesus left. You want to know why it was just she and Jesus? Because Jesus is the only one without any sin. Jesus is the only one without any sin. That's why it's just she and Jesus left in this moment. And if Jesus wanted to, he could have stoned her. He could have condemned her. He could have shamed her. He could have put her on blast. But instead, he says this, woman, where, where are they? Where are the people that accused you, woman? Where, where are they? Have they not condemned you? Verse 11, she says, no, one, no one's condemned me. No one's condemned me, Lord. And Jesus says this, neither do I condemn you. But do this, go now and leave your life of sin. And y'all, it's in this moment, we see the heart of God. We see the heart of God on full display. His heart is not to condemn you or shame you. When conviction comes, it's here to shape you and to change you and make you look more like his son. It's not a message of condemnation. He's got a future for you. He holds a future. He doesn't speak to your past. He speaks to your future. And I read this verse earlier in Romans 6, verse 23. We, we said, for the wages of sin is death. But get this, we didn't finish that verse. It says this. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, this whole message is about this. God gives us a way to face the consequences of sin. He says, you, you won't have to. Like, yo, if you believe in me and you accept this free gift of eternal life, you don't have to face death. You don't have to be separated for the rest of eternity from me. You can have a relationship with me, but first, what you need to do is this. You need to acknowledge your sin. You need to seek forgiveness. And you need to turn, turn from your ways. 
You need to do those three things. You need to acknowledge your sin, seek forgiveness, and turn from your ways. As you walked in, you should have gotten this, this little card. And this is something that I find myself uh, kind of centered on lately. The moments where I feel like I'm stumbling, the moments I feel like I'm about to give into sin, the moments I feel tempted, I, I start saying this, this confession. I, I start confessing my sin to God. And maybe for you, this is what you need tonight. You need to be reminded that God, he loves you just the way you are, but he doesn't love your sin. You see, but if you, if you come to him, the Bible says if you come to him and you seek forgiveness, if you acknowledge your sin issue, he will give you the free gift of eternal life. But you got to pray a prayer. And maybe for you, you got a relationship with Jesus. And you kind of just like, in this space of like, yo, I just kind of feel like I'm far from God. It's probably because of your sin. And I, I want to help you in that because I don't want you to feel like God is keeping you at an arm length distance. I want you to know God is ready to come and fill your heart. But you've got to confess your sin. This confession card, it's pretty simple. Usually when I feel like I'm about to sin, I just say this, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I know I've sinned against you. God, I'm struggling with and you can fill in that blank. I need your love, I need your grace, I need your mercy all the days of my life. I need you, God. I need you. And right now, that's exactly what I want you to do. I want you to think about that thing that you've been struggling with. What's that area in your life that you need to confess and come clean to God with? I want you to fill in that blank. Right now, we're gonna take a minute to just think about that thing that's in your life that you need to come clean to God about. Let's take a moment to do that. see that verse on there it's first john chapter 1 verse 9 it says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness he's faithful he's just he provides forgiveness but most importantly he provides life there's someone in the room tonight it's maybe you made a decision years ago to accept jesus into your heart and you realize you've kind of just gone astray, and you're saying, I need a new beginning with Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Maybe you're in the room, and it's your first time walking into a church or coming into a space like this, and you're realizing you, you need saving from your sin. And you're saying, just give me Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Every head bowed, every eye closed, all across the room. We're going to say this prayer, and this is an opportunity for you to start new with God and walk in a relationship with him. You don't need to say it out loud. Just say it where you are. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Lord, I know I've sinned against you. And God, right now in this moment, I'm asking you, God, to help me to live a life that's pleasing to you. God, show me the way. 
for all of my days. I just need you in my life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.